Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans 14, verses 10 to 12. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young, and across the table from me, I have Frank Abel visiting us here at the podcast. So thrilled to have you here, Frank. You uh, have a long history in preaching the Word of God, going, we'd say, all the way back to the 70s when you were out in open air preaching in Allen Gardens in Toronto. You were on TV back then. You had a show called Great News for the World, which is actually on YouTube. You can see those those shows and go back in time. And uh, you're on a, a set with uh, like an office set. I'm, it almost looks like you're on the set of the Brady Bunch or something. Let's go back and you can see how men's fashions change with the uh, wideness of the ties and lapels. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's really great to have you. This is the first time you've done a podcast, though, so it's a new format for you. Tim, it's, uh, it is a pleasure to be here. I really believe that there's a lot to be said and uh, a lot that can be said that's going to be beneficial to people who have time to hear but not time to do much else. <laughs> so it's uh, it's thrilling to actually continue the work. Yes, it, that we went on and it was actually... Uh, I think it was in the early 60s when we were down on Allen Gardens in Toronto oh, okay. so and open air work. And uh, in the 70s, we're in a TV channel, a channel for just local people back in Kitchener in the early 70s. And then we went to Barrie in the late 70s to do great news for the world. And uh, yeah, there's there's been a lot of things, but you're right. This is the first podcast. Yeah. You're telling me back then people would actually call in with questions. That's one thing we miss here on the podcast, but just for our listeners, you can email us from the website if you have any questions. Yeah, that's Um, an important thing, uh, the questions, because uh, it gives people an opportunity to ask what they want to ask. And it seems that in many cases, people don't know where to go with their questions. Right. Right. Yeah, we're we're happy to look into those things and actually <laughs> use them as springboards for other podcasts. Today, though, we're going to be talking about a very important subject that's throughout the Bible, and it really started back on one of our, our first podcasts. We were talking about what are essential Bible studies, and we were looking in Hebrews, the very end of Hebrews chapters 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, where Paul talks about these uh, essential Bible studies, or think these first principles, and he has a list there. And the very last one, he talks about that the foundations that are in Christ are these doctrines about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So we're going to be talking about this eternal judgment. I think it's interesting to look at that, the way that he puts it there. He says it's eternal. God has many types of judgments in the world, but he has a specific judgment that's going to be forever. It's going to be the final judgment. I know you've talked a lot about this and done a lot of study in this, Frank. So I wanted to just have you on the show here. So what 
What is the key verse? Where is the starting point, do you think, when we, we look at this word judgment in Scripture and specifically about the, the day of judgment or the judgment seat that will be coming? Well, we couldn't do much better than what we've done in reading Romans chapter 14 because it uh, tells us that we must all give an account of ourselves to God in verse 12 of Romans 14. And in verse 10, it will occur when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So any believer should expect that we would stand before the judgment seat of Christ at some time. Mm. It then becomes the question of who's involved because people might reason, well, this is the letter that Paul wrote to Romans in the first century. How does that apply to somebody living today, you know, some 2,000 years later? But the Bible was meant to be read. And one of the reasons why it seems to have been translated into so many different versions and uh, taken to parts of the world that we would never even think of is because that's God's intention. And hence, you have to consider, will the reader be involved? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that needs to be determined from what the Bible says. How much, when we read this, are we ourselves uh, accountable to God and can expect to be at the judgment seat of God? Right. That's, that's the question for us. Right. I was looking at that verse 12 earlier and just looking at this. When we talk about the judgment of God, like what's going to happen, that verse 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And it's that word account. I looked up in a concordance, it's the word logos, which is an interesting, very interesting word. It's been translated as word in other places, but it has the idea behind it, not just of a spoken word, but of the thought and the intent and the purpose behind what we're doing. So this judgment of God that we're talking about is going to go at our very heart and core. And we have to, like you're saying, we, we have to realize that what Paul is talking about here is, is that a judgment that's going to judge our hearts. Yes, yeah. it's it's a very different judgment because sometimes people might think of judgment as a way scale, like, oh, oh, I've done all these good things and I've done all these bad things, and right. I think I've had more good than bad, so right. I'm going to do all right. But when you start talking about the intents of the heart, that uh, discounts that idea. Different story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So let's get back to this. You were talking about we will all stand before, and he says each of us will give an account. We're just trying to understand, like, what does he mean we'll all stand before there? Maybe a good place to go to here is um, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. This, I think, just gives us this idea of this gospel, like Paul was preaching the gospel of the Romans. But this gospel, he says in Mark chapter 16, this is Lord Jesus Christ, he said unto them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. So just two points here, really, is that you're saying, who, who is this? Who's going to be judged? Well, there's this word going forth, this gospel that is going to all the world. And the second point we get from it is in verse 16, that there will be some who will believe it and accept it and be baptized. And those are the ones that will be saved. And then there's going to be another class of people who do not believe. And their final end is that they will be condemned. Now, con condemnation is part of you know judgment. When we think about these words 
in our Bibles, we're talking about judgment. We're talking about condemnation as well. So that's what I get from, from that, is that this gospel is just not to the Romans. It's to all the world. Which has uh, great implications for the person who's reading the Bible, because when you read the Bible and you, you think that these words were spoken to Jesus and the gospel was recorded, we're told by the gospel writer John, that people might believe and have the testimony that's essential to believe, that there's really something about whether or not we follow this up and believe and be baptized mm, or yeah. whether we don't and are subsequently condemned for it. Now, it, it seems to me that in the flow of these Bible passages is that we need to consider what the Bible has to say about who will be the judge, mm. because it's very, very instructive on how all this comes together. And that's where we go to Acts chapter 10. Okay. And in verse 40, it reads, But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that Jesus Christ has been elevated by God to be the judge, which has a lot of implications. If Jesus is to be the judge of this particular day, what does that say about people who died many years before he lived? That's one of the implications, obvious implications. Mm, yeah. And since the judgment of God has not even yet occurred, then uh, what does it mean about you know our relatives who have died? What does it mean about us who may die before the day of the judgment? These are all the implications of the fact that Jesus Christ was appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. That's interesting because the verse that we just read before in Romans 14, the very first one, we didn't read verse 9, but just going back there, it says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So that's to your point, right? And I think it's interesting how Paul says, for to this end. I mean, for this very purpose, Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord, that he might be the judge of all human beings whether they're now dead or whether they're alive. Also, another passage that brought up to my mind is John chapter 5, which is, we're not going to really go through this in, in any detail, but it's a very important one if you're following along to go back and read that chapter. But at John 5 and verse 22, it says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Reemphasizing that point that you brought out. And in the context... It's the time of the resurrection that it will take place. So in verse 28 of John chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus Christ is going to be the judge. And there we get a, a hint at the time. When is that going to, to happen? 
Well, just one comment on that, okay, Tim. It's uh, I I believe that it's it's kind of it will be awkward for for people who have not a Christian background to accept that because uh, they would believe that Jesus Christ isn't that important that he will also be the judge of Muslims. He would be the judge of people who are uh, of Chinese descent or whatever religions they may have had. Like the implications of those words are there's one man who's appointed to be judge. But then you see the gospel is like that because it tells us that when the, the gospel was first preached in the first century, they told the people at that time, there's only one man given one name that is given under heaven whereby we must be saved and that is the name Jesus Christ. Right. So salvation for anybody living in the world, no matter where they are or whatever creed they may be following, if you want salvation, it has to come through Jesus Christ. And as you say, yes, he's the one who will be the judge appointed by God. This timing is it's a, it's a future thing. And I think the really key verse for me in that regards is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in, in that passage, it says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, in the King James Version, it says he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So it, it, I think it better emphasizes the tying in that when is this judgment of the living and the dead? Well, there has to be a resurrection to judge somebody who's, who's dead. So it's going to be at his appearing and his kingdom when Jesus Christ comes back. That's going to be when that is. And this, this whole context here is, is interesting because Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. So he's in the same context, he's saying it's very important for us to understand the judgment is coming and you have to preach that with all diligence because there's going to be a time when people are not going to want to hear what the Bible is saying. I mean, this is in our words. This is what the Bible's telling us. There's going to become a, a time of judgment. So the implications for this are, are huge. Well, the implications are, are very important for people who are reading the Bible today because, you see, if the Bible is right and just what we have said, that there is one person, Jesus Christ, who was appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead, and as you read in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, that this judgment has not yet taken place, mm. then just think of the implications for Christendom. That is, all of the people who claim to be Christian, whatever their denomination may be. For instance, it says judgment has not happened. It still is a future event. So if judgment hasn't happened, then what do we make of people who claim that the righteous have gone to heaven, right. or that the wicked have been tormented in hell, or that there's a place of purgatory. Like that's all refuted to some extent by the fact that judgment has not yet happened. Even the judgment of Adam and Eve has not yet happened because happened, yeah. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. So it's it's a future event. 
And it's something that has got to take place, which suggests to us very strongly that there is nobody in heaven or nobody in hell or nobody in, in purgatory. The time has not yet come for God's judgment on these people. And many of these people will not be judged until they have risen from the dead. Yeah, I think people who have followed those ideas or presently believe those ideas want to really go back and have a look at their Bibles as to what it really says about that. Yeah. As we look at these passages, what is the, the purpose of judgment is to, well, first of all, to enforce the justice of God, uh, that he is right and wrong, but also it's for a reward or a condemnation, as we've seen from these these other passages. You're either going to be saved at that time or you're going to be condemned you're either going to be given eternal life and immortality at that point, or you're going to perish. When's the reward given? It's given at this time, at the judgment, at his appearing and his and his kingdom. Even in the Old Testament, you find that aspect of, of resurrection taught when, when uh, Daniel taught that many would rise from the dead and many would be judged at the prophecy concerning the kingdom. And... It, it leads us to believe, well, you know, even if there's if there's many, then why isn't it all? Right. And you see, that opens up another area of discussion as to who will rise from the dead. Right. It illustrates how we, we really have to look at many other Bible doctrines and teachings in order to get one consistent view of what God has in mind for uh, dealing with people who have died and, and who will be judged. That's from Daniel 12 and verse 2. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so that's the passage that Jesus actually quotes in John chapter 5, which reemphasizes all of the scriptures that we're seeing a consistent teaching throughout both the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. Just to hammer the point home, there's another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which really aligns with Romans chapter 14, just kind of reiterates all of these points again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. There's those same same thoughts. And the, the judgment seat is the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul's saying there's no way around it. We must all appear before that. I think uh, the point you made earlier is, is worth reiterating again, and that is that even though it says may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, it's not just the deeds on one scale pan and the other of the things that right. uh, you know, were wrong. It's it's uh, the motives that led us to these things so that even people who thought they were doing good may have been doing it for the wrong motive altogether. For instance, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, if a person gave all his goods to feed the poor, but he right. didn't give it with love, it's worthless. Right, right. Those kinds of things. Right, yeah. Exactly, and that's that's what will be revealed on that day. Now, First Thessalonians chapter four mm. gives us a, a perspective, 
it is a perspective in the sense that it doesn't include everybody. And we have to be careful because in many cases where we're reading in the scripture, there is a context for the remarks and it becomes very instructive to us to follow it with the context, but can be quite destructive if we don't keep the context in mind. And I guess that's uh, really the way we look at all the scripture. Like, yeah. does it is it consistent with everything else we know about it? But First Thessalonians chapter four was written by the apostle for the encouragement of people who would be blessed with eternal life. For in instance, in verse fifteen, it says, "For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive." and who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, they were words of encouragement for those who were trying to live a righteous life and were, as we say, in Christ, and who then uh, wouldn't be in a matter of despair over loved ones who had fallen asleep and who wouldn't be wondering about what, how is it going to happen. He tells us the dead in Christ rise first. And then he he will call together the people who are still alive and remain unto a place of judgment. It doesn't mention judgment exactly in those verses, but that's when judgment occurs, as we see from other verses that we've looked at. And the encouraging thing is that we will then be with the Lord. But it doesn't include everything, and mm, uh, we must... Yeah. We must be careful about that. Right. So, yeah, you're saying that we get certain passages that we just can't, we have to draw all of these scriptures together to get a complete picture because it's, Paul is not giving words of encouragement here about the resurrection of the unjust or the uh, judgment of, of those. He does in other places of, of Thessalonians, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about those who have been persecuting the Thessalonians and that they're going to receive at the coming of the Lord the, the judgment of eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord. So he does talk about it in other places. And as you said that, I, I was thinking of Acts chapter 24 and verses uh, 14 as really kind of the, one of the key passages that I go to when I'm talking about this subject about who's going to be judged. So there's the Beautiful aspect that you bring out in First Thessalonians chapter 4 about those who believe that they'll be resurrected and be with the Lord forever. But in Acts chapter 24, Paul is before Felix, who is the governor. He's actually on trial and judgment before Felix, and he's preaching the gospel basically to Felix in verses 14 and 15. When he says, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So we have those two categories here. So Paul is really being, because he's talking to 
really an unbeliever in Felix. He is drawing, there's, there's going to be a resurrection of the just, yes, that makes sense. But there's also going to be a resurrection of the unjust. And so there's two types of resurrections. There's a resurrection to eternal life and a resurrection to condemnation. And so it's it's pretty easy kind of concordance study. We won't do it here, maybe in another another time, but just looking up that word just and, and unjust, who are the unjust, and you can do a simple concordance study and see that that includes people who have rejected the, the gospel, uh, people who are unrighteous in that sense. And Felix was one of those. You go just to verse 25. It says that Paul, he was reasoning to him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. So our topic was Paul's topic to Felix. And the response of Felix was, the ESV says Felix was alarmed. I think the King James says he trembled. And so he realized that he was going to be responsible before the judgment of God. But you look at his actions and he's like many people in the world. He disregards it and ignores it and goes the other way and, and rejects. Uh, the judgment of God. That's entirely consistent with the Apostle Paul's testimony in uh, in Corinthians that we already dealt with in Corinthians mm. uh, chapter Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eleven. After talking about appearing at the judgment seat of Christ, he went on to make the comment: "Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others." And the Apostle Paul would have used the same evidence in the in the same ideas when he was talking about people like Felix, there's not the most comfortable feeling to imagine yourself before the judgment seat of Christ knowing that you rejected him during your life. Right. And uh, hence, you can see how people uh, would come to a rather cold sweat at a time like that, because that that is the area of accountability, which yeah, we need to explore a little bit. And I think one of the things that does help us is the testimony in Romans chapter 2. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy little section here, but it, it's uh, very pertinent. So at Romans 2, verse 3. Oh, and just to come in here, Frank, I yeah. think I, I would agree with you. Like if sometimes we talk about there's whole chapters on subjects. Romans chapter 2 seems to be that that chapter. Like if you read the whole thing, because like the heading of my Bible says God's righteous judgment or God's judgment in the law. So this is a key passage, key chapter. The whole yes, thing, yeah. it, it is. And as it goes on to say, again from Romans 2 verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works. Mm. Now, it's, it's important to to think about that a little. It's not the most comfortable thought, but God's given us a conscience to know whether we are really consistent with what we believe. And sometimes because of the circumstances we're in, our conscience may be giving us a red light that really right. we're not consistent in what we're saying or what we're doing 
with what we really have in our minds said is the truth. And God reminds us, don't forget that you will not escape the judgment of God. Well, if God knows our minds, he knows our thoughts, he knows our motives, he knows what we're doing and what we haven't done, then we must never expect that we could escape God's judgment. And that's the, the thing which I think the apostle is trying to set here as he goes through these sections, that uh, we don't want to be in a position of having a hard-heartedness about something that's going to be a judgment against us if we don't correct it in our life. Mm. He will render to everyone according to his works. Right. I think it's interesting, too, how it continues there. It says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. That, again, emphasizes the point that the judgment seat is to give eternal life. That's the time when somebody is given immortality. But it's given to those who are diligent in seeking after the glory of God in their lives, who in, by patience and well-doing do these things. It's not You can't, just can't back into the kingdom of God. It's not going to be by accident. It's going to be by you diligently applying these principles in your life, having the word of God uh, drive your conscience, as you were talking about. And then Paul in verse 8 says the opposite class are, are those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. I think it's very interesting how the ESV translates Those who are self-seeking. So, all of our lives tend to be this focused on ourselves. And for a lot of people, that's that's all it is. It's just about themselves. But God is calling us to a bigger picture about the love we should have to one another. But if our lives are filled with that self-seeking and not obeying the truth, then from the scriptures here we're seeing, God's going to be angry with us. There's going to be wrath and fury. And it says in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Now, the uh, scriptures are, are quite amazing in what they say, but in many cases, it isn't appreciated by a single reading or maybe mm, many readings. That's right. it's, yeah. it's a matter of meditating on those verses and and seeing just what it does say. Like we're looking at these verses from the point of view of the judgment seat of Christ, but the verse seven that you read, uh, where it mentions that by patience and well-doing, people seek for glory, honor, and immortality, uh, must surely mean that if people are seeking it, they don't have it. Right. And they won't have it until he gives them eternal life. And you think about the implications of that and the importance of judgment. But this record goes on because in Romans 2, verse 12, it says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And then he goes into a section which is acknowledged by uh, many of the ways that people have translated from the Greek to the English, that there's a parenthesis. There's a, a section which is a little aside from verses 13 to 15. Mm. And then he goes right into the, the concluding or the connecting passage with verse 12. We'll be judged by the law on the day when, according to my gospel, 
God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So you see, it ties what we've been saying together very well, and that's what you always expect when we're reading God's Word, that God's Word will not contradict itself. It will complement. It will, it will flesh out. It will be consistent with other passages. So we are always in the mode of comparing spiritual yeah, with spiritual. Yeah. On that day, according to my gospel, that's the gospel that Paul preached, to which if we believe and are baptized, we shall be saved. God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, a very important part of the gospel. That verse 16 really kind of summarizes a lot, pretty much everything we've been talking about. There's a day that's coming. It's according to the gospel. And he says my gospel, but really that was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He's the judge. And I think it's interesting too there. He says the secrets of men. It's these things that are are hidden that we think that we'll escape if nobody knows about it. But God knows. He sees our hearts. He knows the thoughts and intents. And so there's another just another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 that I think is important to bring up here about this aspect of the secrets of men that really has to do again with our hearts. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now that's very valuable because it tells us that we shouldn't believe the idea that's quite current and has been for many, many years that if you ever are saved, you cannot fall back. Once saved, always saved is, is the way it's quite often presented. Hmm. No, it, it's salvation is, is made up of people being consistent throughout their life and not allowing themselves to backslide or to re refute what they at one time believed. And, and hence the belief in the gospel, God will judge people according to how they've lived it in their life. And that will be the way in which uh, our final salvation is revealed to us at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there was one verse that Jesus mentioned, or one little section of, of what he mentioned, that I think is also very important to remember, because salvation for the Lord, to paraphrase it, he mentioned that there are many people that would be called or invited, but only a few people that would be chosen and you wonder why that is. Is it because we don't know what God's asking us? Is it because uh, God will be elitist in this, that he will only choose people that, you know, that have characteristics that maybe not revealed to us now, but he will want to see later on? How is it that many are called, but few are chosen? And that comes from Matthew 22. And I'll just maybe read that little citation, not the whole of the parable, but just enough of it to get a feel of it. So in Matthew 22, verse 11, it says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? 
and he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him out into utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. We've got to be diligent about mm. our calling. And if a person is, uh, as we're told by people who have, have looked at what it meant to have a wedding garment in those days, it was something that was offered freely. It wasn't something that was uh, required at a great expense. But people just refused it, like I'll come in on my own terms. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. God doesn't accept coming in on our own terms. Right. So it's rightly important that we understand that, as Jesus would say in another place, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow or restricted is the way that leads to everlasting life. And uh, hence, the judgment seat of Christ is a very important topic. Yeah, I, I think so too. And just the way that the scripture has been brought out here, we might fear that judgment seat. And I think that's really the intent that the Bible is saying, yeah, there's going to be a time when we have to give account. And some of our listeners might be shaking in their boots, thinking about all the things they've done or where they're in their, where they are in their lives. But this is why we read the Bible, because what the Bible is asking us to do is there, there is forgiveness with God, but we have to repent. And so when we repent and we do, as, as Paul says, we seek then for that glory and that honor in our lives and just continue to work towards that goal. There is forgiveness of God. And hopefully, Lord willing, we will be part of those few that are chosen. So thank you very much, Frank, for being here and for discussing this very important subject. I hope you'll come back for more podcasts and uh, discussions on this and other topics. Well, thank you for the invitation, Tim. I enjoy this very, very much, and I, I certainly hope we can we can do another one sometime. Yes, right. thank Great. you. Great. Thanks. A listener sent me a suggestion that we put all the passages that we've referenced in the show notes. It's a little extra work for me, but such a great idea. How come I didn't think about it? Thanks for the suggestion, Jonathan. Now, if you missed a reference or you want to go back and review the passages for yourself, you can. Just look in the show notes. It'd be really good to do that with this episode. As Frank said, you really have to go back and read these passages, think about them, meditate on it, and pray for understanding. If you have a comment, a question, or a suggestion, then you can contact us at www.essentialbiblestudies.org. Be sure also to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We post pretty pictures you won't want to miss. We would like to thank the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada for their support of this podcast. 
Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.